How do you find and keep hope alive? We want to have rules and boundaries, but we want to be developing relationship with our kids. They need to know mom and dad are not about being the policemen. Mom and dad love me. They're concerned with me. They want to help me navigate this world. My hope is centered totally, completely in him. This is what hope sounds like. Hi there. Thank you so much for being here. This is the What Hope Sounds Like podcast. I'm Trisha, your buddy from the Midday Show on the Light FM. So glad you're here because we have a special guest today to talk about a very timely topic, social media and our kids. Today, we are joined by Adam Holtz. So happy you're here, Adam. Adam is author and managing copy editor for Focus on the Families Plugged In. And Adam, we need you. Thank you for talking today. (laughs) Thank you. And I think that that's an old bio. I actually have been director for about five years now. So not that it matters. It's not about my ego, but um there you go there you go it's our team of five so we spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff I think that's wonderful and you're bringing even more skill and expertise to this and we we need that we need all of that because navigating social media with our kids is so tricky these days partly because I don't even know what's going on I'm a mom of two boys I don't even know what's out there so Adam I'm hoping you can help us understand what our kids are seeing what they have access to with social media and how we can help them yeah I mean there are so many different angles that that we could take here I think I think just to kick our conversation off Tricia um, I would say this is just part and parcel of of the reality that our kids are growing up with today. Now, having said that, you know, one of the questions we get all the time is how old, you know, when should our kids get social media? And I have, I have two answers that for those who are wrestling with that question may not be particularly satisfying, but I think that they're important answers. I think my first answer is, and this has to do with cell phones and smartphones as well. um, Wait as long as you can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, because once that genie is out of the, you know, proverbial lamp, it's easier in some ways to, to just say no, than it is to try to figure out all of the boundaries that you need to be mindful of once you open that genie's lamp. Now, I will also say my second part of the, of the question is, or answer to the question is it depends on the kid. Children are different, right? And if you have more than one child, even my own three children, and they're 12, 14, and 18, they're at different places. They have different maturities. They have different vulnerabilities. They have different weaknesses and and interests and potentially things that I need to be aware of as a parent and my wife as well. So there's not a one-size-fits-all answer here. But I do think that the longer you can wait the longer you're protecting your kids from the potential issues that we're going to talk about. And we are going to talk about some of those today. However, I I want to be careful not to sound the, I don't want to be chicken little. Um, I want to be really realistic about what we know about the problems with social media. I also want to be appropriately realistic to just help us think about the fact that this is the way kids communicate today. And so whether we hold off till they're 13, 14, 15, 16, at some point, they and you are going to step into this world. And so 
Um, yeah. I think like with all things related to entertainment, when we operate from a place of fear and anxiety, we can get kind of clenchy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are times to clench. There are times to say, you know what? That's terrible. We're not going there. But I think as believers, we don't want to live in fear either, because I think that that can inadvertently communicate messages to our kids that we don't want to communicate. So I'll, uh, I'll stop yes. there and take a breath. We have lots that we can talk about. But that's sort of my opening, opening statement, if you will. Well, I appreciate that because you are approaching it from a way that as believers, we don't have to live in fear um, right. and we have to be thoughtful and take our kids' personalities and maturity levels into account. So I'm going to ask you a question on that. Yeah. How do you know when each of those kids is actually ready to take that next step? For example, I have a, a seventh grader does not have a phone, but he is on different track team and a tennis team, they they expect him to have a phone. They say, we'll text the parents when we're coming home. I'm like, he doesn't have a phone. So I'm thinking, well, maybe we need to get him a phone just so he can keep up with the school things. But maybe that's not the answer. How do you know you're ready? You know, that is the, that is the tricky one. I would say in general, how do they interact with screens in general? How would you characterize their responsibility level And in general, how would you characterize your relationship with them? Is it a combative relationship? Do you always feel like you're fighting? And and I'll also say we waited the longest with our son, who's our oldest, who's now 16, before we gave him a smartphone. And we got him a flip phone thinking, okay, we're going to split the difference, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was mocked to oblivion. The flip phone lasted, I think, two weeks and he's just like everybody is making fun of me for not having a smartphone now you know again how do you split the difference here because our kids are always going to say i'm the only one who doesn't have it right Mm -hmm. and and the parental response is if everybody jumped off a cliff would you jump off a cliff too right i mean we have these old saws about peer pressure but i think that we do have to balance the reality that We also don't want our kids to be social pariahs. So I think that you look at their general responsibility level. Um, You know, we have some friends that got their 13-year-old a Gab phone, and the Gab phone doesn't have internet access, but it looks like a smartphone, right? And so I think for some families, that could be a terrific sort of intermediary step. I think Mm -hmm. it's a terrific product. That particular person is also super rebellious. And the first thing she did, according to my daughters, was to get online somewhere else and Google, how can I break a grab a gab phone, you know? And so for her, those limits immediately sort of awakened this, you know, desire to rebel. And so I think in some ways, maybe it's easier to manage the real thing than it is trying to manage your kid trying to do an end around. You have to know their personality and you have to know okay, where are they likely to try to circumvent me? And sometimes I think with our kids, when we put a limit in place, that temptation to want to circumvent things Mm -hmm. is going to be really strong. And so um, I wanted to say with each of our kids that came after, they got phones a little bit younger because I think that's also the reality. You wait the longest, you're the most cautious with the first one. And then with the younger ones, it's like, well, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and do this. And my oldest is like, 
why did you get her a phone when she was 12 and I had to wait till I was 13? You know, and he's constantly like, well, she shouldn't even have a phone yet. And I'm constantly like, and I'm the parent, you let me deal with it. Okay. Um, so there are going to be battles in this area, but I think that we have to keep the end goal in mind by the time our children leave the house, have they spent some time learning under our tutelage, how to set boundaries, how to recognize inappropriate content, how to know what's wise in terms of interacting with people online? Mm. Are they growing in self-control? Because the core issues here are self-control issues. Mm. Um, and we'll, we can circle back. There's lots to talk about here in that arena. Um, so again, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. I think that and after you make that choice, you do it with parameters involved in terms of where they use it, how much they use it, and what they're looking at. So you can set those parental controls to control both time and content, um, and then being in relationship and being in conversation about what they're looking at, and then paying attention to their behavior. How is that influencing you? Here's what I'm seeing and adjusting those boundaries accordingly. What I love about what you just said is that it's helping us see social media as an opportunity to parent. It's an opportunity for them to Absolutely. learn so many of those things that you mentioned that they will need when they launch. And yep. that is our responsibility. So that's good. I like that because that gives me a more hopeful way of looking at social yes. media overall. So you mentioned some parameters. I want to talk about that because I have heard that it is harmful for such amount of time to be on social media? How do you yeah. identify those parameters and how do you put them in in a loving, respectful way? That's a great question. Well, I think the American Academy of Pediatrics says for younger kids, two hours of screen time a day is what they recommend total, not just social media. Um, that's a hard limit, honestly, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in the culture that we're living at today. We know from the 2021 Common Sense Media Census that the average between eight to 11 spends about four and a half hours on screens a day. Actually, no, it's more than that. It's closer to six. And the average teenager is on screens about eight hours a day. And so, and that's outside of schoolwork. Um, so the trick becomes, how do we do that? And, and I think even before we deal with our kids, we have to deal with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually hate this as a parent because I have as big a love affair with my phone as my kids do with theirs. But I think at the most basic level, our kids are gonna do what they see us doing. We are modeling mm. what is normal behavior for them. So before we start thinking about setting rules for our kids, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, you know, other caregivers, how are you interacting with your phone? What are your kids seeing with how you are online now? We have work emails, we have real things that we have to be on, but if I'm just as likely to be on Facebook for 45 minutes, or that's my wife's, the thing that she has wrestled with, and she has really dialed that back this year. Uh, for me, I like to be on eBay. I like to be on the sites that have the things that I'm interested in. I'm on guitar sites. I'm, I started comic collecting again during COVID, so I'm always looking for like rare things from 1960. And, and my kids will sometimes say, you know, you have an issue here too. And so the goal here is not perfection. The goal is in engagement and intentionality and awareness. Once we set those parameters, 
we're in a better place to help our kids because we're not in a place of do as I say and not as I do. Then we can start talking about, you know what, from six to eight every night, we're not going to have devices on. We're going to read. We're going to talk. We're going to engage as a family. Not that that's an arbitrary thing that I've just tossed out there. That's one that I've been working on personally. Mm -hmm. When I get home from work, I turn my phone off. I put it in the room mm -hmm. out of sight, out of mind, because if it's, a, if it's within reaching distance, aha, here it is. You know, it calls out to me, right? It's like the ring of power. My precious. Exactly. Um, so we can begin to carve out those spaces where we have agreed as a family, we're not going to be on right now. Um, all, both Apple and Android have time limit um, features that you can set as a parent. If you go into settings, you'll see, I think in, I have an Android. I'm not an Apple person. My kids, of course, have Apples because they wouldn't mm. be caught dead with an Android. <laughs> I think in Android, it's called digital well-being. And wow. you can go in and set limits there. Um, and then I think we need to talk about where they're being used to have your kids in their bedrooms with the door shut on their phones is a problem. I mean, it's a problem for lots of reasons. You don't know what they might be doing. You don't know what they're watching. You don't know who they're interacting with and they're just sort of off out of sight, out of mind. And so, you know, those boundaries can tend to be, um, you know, get permeable, if you will, in a way that's, that's not healthy. So we want to set time limits. We want to set content limits and we can talk about filters here in a minute. I think there's a real place for those mm -hmm. and there are places that I think maybe not. Uh, and then we want to talk about where they're using them. That's so good. And, you know, I never thought about that. You stepped on my toes a little bit with the whole like yeah. Facebook thing. I know. And I know I'm guilty of that. And I think it would be interesting now that you're mentioning it that it would be a good thing for my kids to know, well, I'm struggling too. I, I'd really like to get on Facebook, but I want to be with you and right. be open about that. So it opens up opportunities for them to see how we handle those moments of temptation yeah. and struggle. That's right. And so I think the next thing that I want to talk about here that is a natural segue is scientists are learning a lot about how interaction with screens and interaction with social media in particular can have negative outcomes. And again, I really want to avoid, um, you know, a hysterical response to this because I think it's easy to get hysterical, but I don't think it accomplishes very much. Now, having said that, at the most basic level, when we interact with screens, it, re it, um, it causes a chemical in our brain, a neurotransmitter called dopamine to be released. Dopamine is a pleasure sort of chemical in our brain. When we interact with something we like, we get a little tiny hit of dopamine. And the thing that I compare it to, we can all probably remember those videos of experiments scientists have done where they put a rat in a cage and they give it a little pellet dispenser and the rat can come up and tap on, you know, or some smarter animal and learns how to get a pellet and it makes it happy for a minute, right? Well, sometimes the rats eat themselves to death because they don't have regulation over how many times they tap on that pellet. So dopamine is a little bit the same way in that um, our brains like it. So it doesn't really matter if we're on social media, just anything pleasurable. If it's a news story for guys, or you know, if my ESPN fantasy football league gives me an alert, or we get an email, or we're on Facebook, or we're on Instagram, we're constantly getting this little stimulation of dopamine. And the more your brain gets it, 
the more it wants it. And even though we might not put smartphone usage in the same category as say methamphetamine, it's the same function at the brain level. There's an addictive craving thing that is happening. And so again, how many times have you sat down on the couch with your phone next to you and said, I'm just gonna put my phone down. And like literally 15 seconds later, you unconsciously reach for it. That's the dopamine thing. So it's not just a self-control or character issue. Our brains get wired in such a way that we've created a dependency and changing those habits is hard and it will take time to break those habits. And let me say one other thing just about that, the biological piece here. Um, a really, really interesting book. I think it was written in 2012 or 13. It's called The Shallows. Uh, it was a Pulitzer Prize nominated book. It was written by Nicholas Carr. He investigated what do we know about the brain and how screens are influencing the brain. And it was based on a 2008 article that he wrote in the Atlantic called What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. He realized his attention span was getting shorter and shorter. His ability to think reflexively, to just go deep, was just being obliterated. And so that was what led him into this. But what I wanted to say was, one of the chapters talks about a Chinese study, and I think I'm going to get the details right. They took a group of people in China who had never been exposed to the internet before. They took an MRI of their brains. They put them on the internet every day for four hours for two weeks and took an MRI of their brains after two weeks and their brains were structurally visibly different. That two weeks on the internet was changing oh their actual brain structure. And so I think that when we wonder why it's so hard to make changes here. We have to recognize that there is a biological component on top of that behavioral component. And so just like changing our spending habits or changing our eating habits, it's going to take time to make changes. So how do you approach that? So I approach it in terms of let's take a bite-sized change okay. that we can handle. As a guy in guy world, mm -hmm. When I want to chop down a tree, I want an ax so big that I can do it in one fell swoop, right? I'm all or nothing, you know? And sometimes maybe, and maybe there, maybe this is not a gender thing. Maybe it's a personality thing, but in guy world, I, I could be all or nothing. I just want to solve it all right now. Oh, we're going to throw all our phones out and we're going to yeah. turn the TV off and we're getting right. rid of all. Of it. It's a natural reaction, but it's sort of like saying, I want to lose weight. So I'm going to stop eating, mm. right? Yes, it doesn't work, doesn't work. or yeah. I want to get out of debt. I'm just going to stop spending money. Yeah. No, you've got to have a plan. And I think with screens, look for ways that you can have an agreed upon adjustment in a small area and it, make it small. Like I'm not going to reach for my phone first thing when I wake up in the morning. In fact, I'm going to go get an alarm clock so I don't have to use my phone as an alarm clock. So the very first motion of my day is not reaching to my phone mm -hmm. to turn it off. Or like I was saying earlier, mine has been, I'm going to try to turn my phone off from six to eight every night and be present with my family. That's for me mm -hmm. as a dad. And once I've done that for a while, I can help my kids do things. Um, I'm terrible. I look at my phone at stoplights, right? I I'm, I'm going to say, I'm not perfect in this area. So 
the goal isn't perfection. The goal, I think, is to say, where can I get a manageable adjustment that I can begin to implement, and then we can build on that. And then if you do two or three of those, you begin to have lifestyle change that is realistic and sustainable because you're changing your habits. And the experts say, whoever they are, I'm not sure who they are, you know, it takes 21 days mm -hmm. to make a real change. My wife and I started Weight Watchers on December 31st. You know, I'm five months in, I've had good weeks and bad weeks, but I've lost 30 pounds mm -hmm. and I lost 30 pounds, you know, one not eating candy bar at a time. But I also have their app. This is, I don't mean this as a Weight Watchers commercial, so forgive me, but it's, it's worked, right? Yeah. For me, the app has turned it into a game that I can track it. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find some way to make it fun, mm -hmm. um, with my kids, we have actually in the summer paid them to read books because the money motivates them to be in a book and not on their screens. Mm -hmm. Is that bad parenting? Some people might say so, but how do you turn it into a game? How do you turn it into something fun where it's not just, uh, I'm being deprived of this thing that I love, but no, we're going to fill it with some other things that, that are fun. And again, that's knowing your kids, knowing what your Absolutely. kids are motivated by. That's wonderful. So let me ask you about filters because yeah. things like TikTok we hear, I don't even really know what that is exactly, but how do we learn about which things we need to filter and how do we go about sure. doing that? So a couple of answers. You can come to pluggedin.com, which is our website, and yes. we're really trying to keep a close eye on on tech stuff, on new apps. And we've got ongoing stuff, especially in our blog area. We're talking about adding a review section, but we wanna keep you up to date there. So I think that there are a number of filters out there that do a varying degree of um, successful filtering. There's a newish one out of Israel called Canopy, which does social media, which does texting, which does a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably the most um, comprehensive. Uh, Covenant Eyes is another one that's a little bit more focused on what you look at on the internet. It's not social media based um, as much. Um, I, I think that it's, the filters are going to be less, they're less applicable actually to social media than they are the internet in general. Uh, Net Nanny is another one that focuses on the family, which Plugged In is a part of has recommended as well. Um, so those are our starting places, I think. And this is this is my personal thing. I've got a golf tee, by the way. I'm not smoking. I just picked it up on my table. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fidgeter. I destroy paper clips at work all the time. I understand. Me too. Um, but in case somebody saw that white thing in my hand, I wonder, what is he doing? Um, <laughs> I think filters are most effective to keep you from unintentionally going someplace you don't want to go. Like one keystroke of filtering can take you, or one key, one missed keystroke uh -huh. on a web address, you know, and you can end up in a bad place. And we actually found out recently that we had a link to a focus on the family product on our website. That link had expired and somebody had bought the URL and linked it to a porn site. And so oh. we're in the process. Now, one person saw it before we took it down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was like a 15-year-old link. And so there are people out there that comb these links to do stuff like that. 
I think that's the best place for filters to work is to sort of be in the background mm -hmm. and to make sure you don't accidentally end up somewhere inappropriate. Mm -hmm. I was doing an image search a couple of years ago for my boss. His, his name at that time was Bob Walaszewski, but we called him B-Dub. I knew that B-Dub, that B-W was the new logo for Best Western. And so I was looking for a Best Western Stein and I did an image, image search on BW, completely innocent, right? The first thing that popped up was a topless woman because they thought I was looking for black and white pictures. And if I was looking for black and white pictures, I must've been looking for nudes. Mm. And I realized that my safe search just on my Google uh, wasn't on. But I, again, that's a great example yeah. of unintentional stuff. I think as kids get older, unless they have a demonstrated pornography problem, I want to teach them how to use the internet without those filters. Because again, I think the filter thing can plant the forbidden fruit kind of, huh, I wonder what they're keeping me from. And my 16-year-old writes code. If he wants to figure out a way around the filter, he probably will. I mean, I think that's the other thing is, I think that they're less helpful for that. Now, there are parents out there that are going to totally disagree with me on that. That's a that's a personal thing. And I do think if you have a child that you know has stumbled into pornography and has a pornography issue, that's a whole different subset of this conversation. Then you need accountability. Then you need relationship. You need you may need professional counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not talking about that, but just in general with filters. Um, but I do think that we want to be knowing what our kids are watching. So having them on their devices in a public room. Yes. We want to yeah. communicate to them as your parent at any time. I want to be able to see your phone. I want to see who you're texting. I want to see what you're looking at, what that history is. Um, although history is more about the internet perhaps than, um, you know, social media in general. And I think this is where I want to take this conversation. We want to have rules and boundaries, but we want to be developing relationship with our kids that ultimately they need to know mom and dad are not about being the policemen. Mom and dad love me. They're concerned with me. Mm -hmm. They want to help me na navigate this world. Um, and there are times when we have to be the bad cop. There's no way around it, right? right. But I want my kids to know I want to know what you're looking at, not because I'm just snooping on you or because I suspect you're doing the bad thing, but I want to be able to have a conversation with you about that. And so, especially by the time they're 15, 16, 17, 18, I think we need to be moving out of that tight control approach into, I'm going to give you more freedom and I want to be able to have a conversation with you about that. I think that is such wisdom and I'm going to grab a hold of that. Um, as I parent my 16 year old, I think that's so smart because you're opening up the relationship. It's kind of like the difference in Christianity versus rules versus relationship. It's about relationship, which opens up dialogue. Okay. Let me ask you um, a couple of things, just like specifically about things like TikTok, things like Snapchat. Do you have problems yeah. with those? How, how do we navigate yeah. those? Well, Snapchat is, is potentially problematic because it was designed to send pictures that disappear. And so yes. It sort of felt like it was custom made for teens who want to misbehave. Um, so I think with Snapchat in particular, um, 
there are more parental features now than there were when it launched because they realized they had a PR problem. Um, I really don't see Snapchat as radically different than the other communication mediums out there. Um, I, I think that parallel to this conversation is the importance of talking with your kids about sexting and sexually explicit content, both receiving it and sending it. Um, my son had somebody send him unsolicited a topless photo. His sisters found it on his Google Hangout account. And that led to a very long conversation. And I didn't just fall off the apple cart yesterday. I'm not naive. As far as I could tell from my son's response, he was very, very disoriented by that. And he said he felt violated mm -hmm. and he was really upset. And it didn't seem to be the upsetness, if I can use that word, of I got caught doing the wrong thing. He didn't have a way to process that. And we had a long conversation with all three of my kids at that point, and this was a couple of years ago, about why we don't put naked pictures on our phones. And my son said, why would somebody put a naked picture on their phone? That thought hadn't occurred to him yet. But I said, I guarantee you, you will have friends, male friends, female friends, who at some point think it's a smart thing to take a naked snap of themselves and send it to a boy or a girl that they like. I said, I guarantee you that will happen. And they were like, their eyes got big. They were incredulous. Uh, and I don't think that has happened yet, but it was a teachable moment um, because once that stuff is out there, it's out there. You have no control over it. And even with Snapchat, there's this, this feeling of, well, it just disappears, but somebody can screenshot it the second it comes in, save it and send it to whoever they want. And it takes on a life of their own. And I think that this, this gets into just, a parallel conversation about sexuality in general with entertainment and media today, we're living in an incredibly sexually saturated culture. We're seeing the LGBT stuff everywhere. Whether we like it or not, as parents, as Christian parents who understand, hopefully, that God created sex as a good and beautiful thing that reflects his identity, it reflects his image, but he created it for the context of marriage we have got to help our kids grow in what I would say is a sophisticated theological understanding of sexuality. It's got to be more than God says premarital sex is bad, don't do it. Or God says homosexuality isn't what he wants. We don't want that. No, we've got to go back to Genesis. We've got to dive into the scriptures and we've got to have an ongoing conversation about this issue because it's all over social media and it's all over entertainment. Um, I'm, I think I'm well afield of, of the question you asked me, but um, 30 years ago, you might've been able to say, we had the talk and it was a one and done, right? We checked the box. I talk about LGBT stuff with my kids almost every day because we're at a conservative charter school, but it's everywhere, right? Yeah. They have people who are are trans in church. Um, they have people who are LGBT in church. And so it's an ongoing conversation and getting comfortable with it, I think is important for us as parents right now. It's happening. It's happening whether we want to pretend it's not, it is. So I yeah. love that. Take the bull by the horns kind of approach. Let's talk about it. And let me ask you finally, um, any other thoughts on how we can view social media from a biblical perspective? 
Well, I think that we need to view it maybe first and foremost from a consumption perspective. Okay. I think my biggest fear about social media for my kids goes back to the dopamine thing and that mm-hmm. I see it shortening their attention spans, their ability to concentrate, their ability to do anything other than be on their phones. You know, the struggle is real. And, and even by saying that, I'm confessing that we didn't get this quite right. Um, and so I think that we want to be resetting because the nature of these things, just like with dieting and budgeting, I really put it in the same category is you do really good for a couple of weeks and then you fall off the wagon and you're like, you know what? I just want to eat six candy bars today. It doesn't matter. Well, we can do the same thing with our phones instead of saying, you know what? This is hard, but we're going to keep trying here. We're going to keep resetting. So the goal is not perfection. The goal is engagement. It's intentionality. It's a conversation. And the other thing I want to say is that as parents, we have a responsibility to shape the culture of our home. And so even creating things to do as a family, we've been trying to have a family game night. We try to have it once a week, which means we have it about once a month, realistically, (laughs) right? Um, And every time we have one daughter who loves it, my other two kids roll their eyes and we have to drag them kicking and screaming in. Sometimes my wife has to drag me kicking and screaming in. But we get done. It's like, that was so much fun. We had such a great time. It didn't involve screens. We never regret that time. But I will say, how many times do you get on whatever social media to check one thing and literally an hour later, you're on your 45th cat video, right? There's nothing wrong with a funny cat video. I loves me some funny cat videos. (laughs) And I've seen a few recently. I saw this one where this guy put a cat mask on and walked into a room of cats and they freaked out, right? There can be real value in saying, you know what? I saw this funny video. I want to share it with you. Let's watch it together and laugh. It's really good to laugh. Social media is good for that. Let's do it for two minutes, not an hour, because it can eat up so much of our time. Um, I haven't talked really about just inappropriate content. There's sexual content that may not include nudity, but Instagram and TikTok can get pretty sensual and pretty suggestive without tiptoeing over that line. So that's important to keep an eye on. But I think asking the question, what kind of person am I becoming? Am I engaging with my family? Am I teaching my kids to engage with other people? Am I helping them and equipping them so they can make these decisions on their own when they're on their own? That's the goal. And and I think that not getting too scared and freaked out, but understanding that, that this is a real thing and that we really have to deal with it. I so much appreciate your honesty, your transparency, your just your sense of humor, but thank you for sharing so much wisdom with us today. We need it. How can a parent get more information from you and from Plugged, uh, plugged yeah. In? Give us all the information. How can we do that? Yeah, you can come to PluggedIn.com. And as I mentioned, we're a ministry of the parenting department at Focus on the Family. We have tons of great parenting resources So each week we review movies, music, TV, video games, books, YouTube channels. Uh, We're doing more and more stuff looking at what's trending each week on TikTok. We want to be your one-stop shop to help you know what's out there. And on the bigger level, we want to equip you to really grow a biblical worldview as you interact with entertainment and technology with your family. 
Fantastic. Adam Holtz with Focus on the Families Plugged In. Thank you for talking with us today. And thank you for being here. I'm Trisha from the Midday Show on the Light FM. And this is what hope sounds like. <laughs>